0: Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. It is March 21st, 2023. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. This is going to be a fun episode. I've really been looking forward to this one uh, for a while. Uh, Before we dive in, a little weather update, because I know all of you just love to hear about the weather in Southern California. But it is pouring this morning, so we are continuing with our crazy weather and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, a couple of days ago, it was almost 80 degrees and sunny. It, it just gave us that taste for one day. Like, <laughs> here's here's what you could be experiencing. And then it went right back to the rain and the cold. So who knows how long this is going to last, but it is what it is. A hundred year storm or whatever, whatever they call it, an atmospheric river. I don't even know, but it is what it is. So there's your weather update. But let's dive in. So our minute of transparency this week, I'm just going to call the Gen X experience. So every generation witnesses growth, right? Advances in technology and changes in the social construct. But I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm going to make the case that Gen X just might be the most stretched generation of all time. And the way that I want to do it is to describe the generation right before and right after to give you an idea of what I'm thinking. So the generation that came before us is called the baby boomers, right? These are people who were born between 1946 and 1964, somewhere in there. And there are a lot of people from this generation who are still living today. Now, this generation did experience a lot of change don't get me wrong. Here are some of the defining moments in their lives. So this generation experienced the Vietnam War and the protests about the war, Watergate, the resignation of Richard Nixon, Woodstock, the Summer of Love, JFK, Martin Luther King Jr., Robert Kennedy, and their assassinations. um, And they witnessed TV becoming mainstream in homes. They've always had cars, planes, and television. Many of the things that we have today Uh, They've just seen a drastic change in the way these things work and look, right? Now, obviously, they didn't have computers, laptops, tablets, or cell phones when they were growing up. So that is a very big change for them when when they added these devices into their lives. But many in this generation passed on before having to truly understand technology or use it. And those who did jump in and use computers and cell phones, will most likely never use them the way that gen x and future generations will so that's uh, the baby boomer generation now let's talk gen y or the millennials so this is the generation that came directly after mine Uh, these are people who were born 1977 to 1995. Uh, this is the generation that experienced things like 9 11 Uh, Obama being elected, the Great Recession, the rise of the global internet. Uh, These are kids who grew up with technology and they don't understand what the world looks like without it. Right? They have unlimited access to information. They view the world as a 24-7 thing. They're less brand loyal than their predecessors and much more willing to just change from thing to thing. Uh, They're suspicious of the establishment. Uh, They're more likely to want to do something cause-related than just make a lot of money. So then that puts Gen X, right, smack dab in the middle, right? So my generation, uh, anywhere from 1965 to 1976, um, the the level of events that we experienced, like the high-level things, like the fall of the Berlin Wall, the end of the Cold War, the AIDS crisis— The premiere of MTV, right? We're often called the MTV generation. Now, the reason I'm calling Gen X the most stretched generation is this. Where we came from, right? So we started without technology. We can all remember playing outside, riding bikes, having friends, playing t-ball. Not really using the television much. And what we had to learn with the onslaught of technology... Um, was vastly different than the other two generations, right? Instead of never having it until you were older and getting it right out of the gate, somewhere in our high school years, we had to figure it out, right? So I call this the onslaught of technology because I can still remember sitting in my first computer class. I think it was 10th grade. So I was a sophomore in high school and... Nobody was interested in it, right? I mean, yes, it's a new thing. It's like, oh, these computers, oh, we get to play with these computers. Um, But nobody's super excited about it, right? We learned this programming language called BASIC. And when you realize that it took hundreds of lines of code just to make something small change on the screen, I think most of us were out, right? It was just another long, boring class that we had to endure, But then look how far we've come since then, right? Fast forward to today, and we obviously got over ourselves, right? Now we're knee deep in the hoopla, so to speak. We all have computers, tablets, phones. Many of us are actually leading and managing um, in the tech space. But it's far from over for our generation. And this is kind of what I'm talking about with the, the part about being stretched, right? With the emergence of AI and ML, so artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're about to go through yet another major disruption or revolution in technology, if you will. Now, of course, other generations will go through it too, but my guess is that most of the baby boomers will sit this one out, right? Either because they've passed on or they just don't have the energy to care. Gen Y and Gen Z will obviously go through it, But all they've ever known is technology. So why wouldn't AI be a thing, right? It's just one more piece of the puzzle that they're getting to learn. But for Gen X, right, it goes back to the whole thing about being stretched. Think about the difference between living without technology to a life where AI is doing all the work. That's the stretch I'm talking about. The vast difference between these two worldviews. Now, I'm probably making it sound like AI is the bookend, right? The final thing that we will experience. But I don't even know if that's true, right? I'm in my 50s right now, and I'm doing pretty well. So who knows what advancements could be next over the next 20 to 30 years? All right. Well, that was just a little bit of fun, a little warm-up for what we're going to dive into as our topic for today. Uh, A little transparency about my generation and the way that we experience the world. But let's dive in. Today's topic, Transcending AI. Chapter 1, Leave it to Hollywood. Chapter 2, Hollywood informs reality. And Chapter 3, The future looks intense. Chapter 1, Leave it to Hollywood. So let me start this whole thing out by saying I am in no way an expert on artificial intelligence or AI. I do work in the tech industry. I do work with a team that builds websites and web applications, and yes, we are researching ways to incorporate AI into our products. But no, I don't fully understand it because it's the wild, wild west. It isn't a product, and it's not really a platform. It's it's more of a leap forward in technology and computing power that can be used to do just about anything we dream up. We'll talk about more Of that in chapter two but let's start at the beginning before any of this even existed right before we even had fast computers before we even had the internet what we did have was creativity and imagination long before things were even possible we had people telling us they would be someday i called this chapter leave it to hollywood because many of our earliest memories of technology came from the movies But it wasn't limited to the movies, right? We had books, we had plays, we had television shows, and even art, all showing us a picture of what life could be someday. So let's start with some of those. Let's start with books. According to businessinsider.com, here are 15 books that predicted the future. Gulliver's Travels predicted that Mars had two moons. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein predicted that organs would someday be transplanted. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea predicted the electric submarine. The book Looking Back predicted credit cards. Interesting. Uh, there's a book called Ralph 124C41+, Plus, which predicted solar power. The World Set Free predicted the atomic bomb. Brave New World predicted mood-busting pills. So many of our uh, mental health medications that we see today. Um, one that we will all probably have to read in high school, uh, 1984, predicted Big Brother, mass surveillance. Um, there was a book called Fahrenheit 451, which predicted earbuds. Stranger in a Strange Land predicted the waterbed. 2001, A Space Odyssey predicted the iPad. Stand on Zanzibar Uh, predicted satellite TV and electric cars. Cyborg predicted the first bionic limb. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, predicted audio translating apps. Interesting, right? And finally, a book called Neuromancer predicted cyberspace and computer hackers. Next, let's look at TV shows. So there are thousands out there to be sure, but let's just look at a few examples starting with the Jetsons. So, if you're a product of the 80s like me, Gen X through and through, you remember the animated show called The Jetsons. Now, This was just a cartoon set in the future, right? And much of the technology in the show was predictive, right? It was like, here's what your future could look like someday. Uh, I found a, a New York Post article called What the Jetsons Predicted Right and Wrong About the Future. So, Here's a few things that they got right. In the show, there was this thing called a video phone. Obviously, that came true, right? We have FaceTime. We have Zoom. Uh, Technology helped them keep their homes clean, right? Think about today we have the Roomba. Uh, The show also described or showed flat televisions, drones. Um, People wore things like the Apple Watch. And then there are some things that haven't really come true yet. So in the show, they had fully functioning made robots that cleaned your entire house. And we don't really have that yet. Uh, Breakfast made at the push of a button. Uh, Automated hygiene machines. Fully self-driving cars. We're getting there, but not quite. And flying cars. Though it's not hard to see how we've been working on those things, right? Um, For sure, self-driving cars. And I believe they've even created a flying car. Not that they're taking off, (laughs) so to speak. All right. So that's the Jetsons. But then let's go to Star Trek, right? Probably one of the best examples. Uh, According to an article from ScreenRant.com, here are 10 things that Star Trek predicted. Touchscreen monitors. Google Glass, right? Computers built into glasses. Voice activation, right? Right. Kind of like Siri and Alexa. It was built into the the Starship Enterprise. Uh, Tablets, like the iPad, Uh, virtual reality. So they had this thing called the holodeck, and it was a room where you could literally program uh, a simulated environment to be whatever you wanted it to be. Uh, Synthetic substances, so like synthetic meat and synthetic alcohol, 3D printing, universal translator devices, video chatting, and Bluetooth earpieces. Right. And those are just so those are just two of the many television shows that describe the future for us. And then there are the movies, way too many to count. Uh, according to movieweb.com, here are six that predicted the future. Running Man seemed to predict humankind's addiction to violence in reality television. Demolition Man, eerily predicted social distancing due to dangerous viruses. Star Trek, again, the motion picture. Uh, seemed to predict technology in the ways that we described above. Blade Runner predicted advanced technology, flying cars, digital advertisements all over the place, things like that. The Terminator uh, predicted a dystopian society ruled by the very technology that we create. Uh, the Truman Show predicted the way that television would impact the human experience and started a reality TV trend. And then there's a whole list of movies that... um the whole reason why they seem so potentially possible is because they're really rooted in science, right? They, they took a scientific concept and they just took it to the next level. So according to Collider.com, some of these movies include Woman in the Moon. This is, this is a movie that's almost 100 years old, but it predicted travel to the moon due to greed. Uh, the movie Alien really normalized what space travel could look like. Ant-Man, uh, completely based on quantum physics, right? The whole, the whole story of being able to move from our world into this whole other quantum realm. Uh, the movie Contact, based on the science of SETI, Uh, listening for messages from outer space and the potential existence of extraterrestrial life. Then you have the movie Minority Report, which really built on the science behind precognition or the ability, like psychic abilities. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, we've mentioned before, based on that book, um, remains very loyal to the science of space that we understand today. Uh, There's a movie called Gattaca, based on the science behind DNA mapping, Uh, and the ethical versus unethical uses of that knowledge. The movie Arrival, uh, that's a more recent one, used the science of linguistics to help humans interact with an unknown visitor to Earth. The movie Interstellar um, quickly becoming a cult classic uh, based on the science of global warming and the possibility of leaving our planet, and theoretical concepts like wormholes and time dilation, things like that. And finally, The Martian. So The Martian is an epic story that captures the science of space pretty well and like the atmosphere of Mars, things like that, in order to tell a very captivating story. Now, I'm a little irritated that none of these writers included movie, the movie Jurassic Park. To me, this is literally one of the best of all time. All right, A movie that takes current medical science and projects it to its logical conclusion. The ability to extract dinosaur DNA, clone it, And then recreate an extinct species from there. Michael Crichton is one of my favorite authors for this very reason. Uh, More recently, I found an an author named A.G. Riddle, uh, who's very similar to uh, Michael Crichton. Really, really great ideas uh, in his books that that come from a scientific basis, but then extrapolated into what could potentially happen with that science. So there you go. Uh, Numerous examples of art creating reality, humans thinking stuff up, stuff that at times becomes reality years later. To many of these writers, the technology that they were envisioning made life better. But to some, it was the technology that created the dystopian society or led to our downfall. Now, I know I've drifted a bit away from the topic that I wanted to cover today, which is simply AI or artificial intelligence. Now, a lot of the books, TV shows, and movies that I described aren't specifically about AI, right? Most of them are just about technology in general. Science fiction that either involves cutting edge science, science we don't fully understand, or science that doesn't exist yet. But AI is one of those things. So for example, in Star Trek, the Enterprise ran on AI on some level, right? You can't have a computer making recommendations to the captain or a holodeck for that matter, uh, without computer accessing AI somehow within its programming. Many times when the captain talked to the computer, it was like he was having a conversation with another person. If that's not something like chat GPT, I don't know what is. In Star Wars, it was blatant, right? You had R2-D2, BB-8, and droids like C-3PO. They were all robotic characters with the ability to think and carry on conversations. Now, this requires AI, obviously. Uh, in the movie The Terminator, right? It was AI that became sentient, right? It, des- it determined that in order to live, it had to eradicate the human beings. Now, before we go to chapter two, there's one other thing that I want to bring up because it's right in the middle. Not 100% human and not 100% technology. It's this concept of transhumanism. Not to be confused with transhumans, or people wanting to transition from one gender to another, transhumanism is actually taking the human body and combining it with technology. What does that mean? Well, let's talk through some of the ways that this could happen. Uh, In an article by Forbes.com, transhumanism is, or potentially will cause, the following. First, body augmentation. So wearing things that enhance our human abilities, things like digital contact lenses that could take pictures or video, earbuds that could help us um, understand any language being spoken, exosuits, right? Uh, Something you would wear that would help you improve your strength or durability, digital implants, biological augmentation, potentially removing unwanted things in your system like cancer or other diseases. Number two, mental augmentation, or thought processes that are faster and more transferable. Um, Things like BMIs or brain-machine interfaces. Still technology we see in movies, but with the dramatic changes we've seen in AI, we're getting that much closer to this being a reality. Number three, gamification. Using behavioral science to encourage participation and engagement. Using this to increase productivity in the workplace. Number four, developing empathy. So a positive result of this technology is to be able to see the plight of others. So use of like VR headsets and things like that. Uh, The author suggests that this should increase our ability to see the plight of others. Because you can immersively go back and see what other people and other races, other uh, ethnicities have gone through in life, and it should make you more empathetic. This is an awesome idea but it's only a positive one if you're willing to be open to it. Uh, Next, you have extreme personalization and customization. So due to this technology, we'll be able to live a life 100% to our own desires and interests. And the crazy thing is that if this is possible, then we could be 99.9% different than a person standing right next to us because of the personalization. Next, you have changes in business practices. So think about the increased use of AI at work and what it could be like if if employers started providing brain-machine interfaces or um, implants or neurostimulation as ways to get increased productivity out of their employees. And finally, we have increased focus on human value. So this is an interesting one because as AI slowly takes over, we as humans become less important, right? We'll we'll have to start wrestling with our value. What makes us important? What makes us unique? What makes us useful? Why is there even a reason for us to exist? Now, that was a slight tangent um, going into this whole conversation of transhumanism, but surely you can see how this fits into our conversation. Uh, In Star Trek, there was this interesting race of people called the Borg, Um, They were a species of cyborg or cybernetic humanoids, I think, to be specific. Uh, Part human, part computer, or mechanical device. They existed as a unit. They had what's called a hive mind. So each singular drone was part of a greater collective. And each one acted in concert with the greater goal in mind. Again, all Hollywood, right? Creative people creating characters for their movies. In this case, an entire race of characters from a distant planet searching the known universe in order to absorb any and all technology into their collective, even if that meant destroying every other race in their path. It's a movie example of transhumanism, but it's not so far off based on the direction we're heading. It's like we're wanting to go down the same exact road as the Borg, only we would never go that far, right? I mean, hive mind? Come on. Basically becoming robots for a greater cause? No, that would never happen. We're way too smart for that. Chapter 2. Hollywood Informs Reality So we just discussed numerous examples of creative works predicting or suggesting technology that didn't exist at the time. Some of those examples were based on technology or science that was in its infancy, like Jurassic Park, for example. And some of it, like Star Trek, was so far ahead of its time, they didn't even have scientific examples to work from. It literally came out of their heads and onto the screen. But here's my working theory. I believe that Hollywood drives technology on some level. And not just Hollywood. Like I said, creative and innovative people. Writers, artists, producers, directors. These amazing people think things up, and then scientists come along and try to make them happen. Now I know. That's a loaded statement, and I'm sure it's not a one-for-one. One. It doesn't always follow that path. But hear me out. What if this happens more often than we think? A writer described how humankind got to the moon, so scientists eventually decided that they could make it happen. A TV show suggested that you could get an entire computer into one small tablet with a touchscreen. Eventually, Apple created the iPad. A movie showed humans interacting with computers by asking them questions. And eventually, Siri and Alexa were a logical result. Now, I could go on and on, right? The basic question here is this. Where do our products come from? Where does our technology come from? Ultimately, it comes from our minds, right? From ideas that pop into our heads. And when we have these ideas, what's the first thing we do with them? We write them down, and we want to flesh them out in a way that gets them out into the world. Maybe it's by writing a book or making a movie. If you don't have the background in science or technology to make it happen in real life, you can at least bring it to life through the art form you understand, right? It follows then that a scientist or somebody who understands technology and would be able to take their ideas and make them into a reality would do so. Or if you're low on ideas of your own, Maybe you start pulling other people's ideas, right? Ideas that you read in a book or saw in a movie once. Don't believe me? Well, this might help get you there. Did you know that they've been trying to build a functioning hoverboard ever since Marty McFly wrote one in Back to the Future 2 in 1989? Why, you ask? Do we need hoverboards? The obvious answer is no, we don't need hoverboards. We have electric skateboards now and electric bikes that go 30 miles an hour. We don't need hoverboards. So why are they trying so hard to develop one? Well, my belief is because they can, because they want to prove to themselves that they can figure out how to build a hoverboard. Like it's a riddle, right? We have the science, we have the technology, we should be able to figure out how to build a hoverboard. At least that's my working theory that people have ideas, they write them down, or make movies about them, and eventually someone thinks, wow, I wonder if I could actually make that happen. And so they try. And they often succeed. Chapter three, the future looks intense. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to assume that we're all on the same page right now. Are you with me so far? We've looked at the past, we've looked at sci-fi books and movies that seem to predict a certain future, and we've seen how many of these things have become a reality over time. We've actually made science fiction into real science many times. And many of these inventions or advances in technology rely on two things, right? You have hardware and you have software. Now, this is something that I find fascinating for many reasons not the least of which is that it matches up pretty well with the way we are formed as humans. Our bodies are the hardware, and our mind is the software. Two things that work together to create a living being. And so it is with advances in technology, right? It's the software that keeps getting smarter and smarter, but there has to be hardware in order for it to mean anything. For example. You can create the most amazing automatic vacuum software for the Roomba, but without the actual physical vacuum part, it's a waste of time, right? The software has no meaning. There's no reason for its existence. And we see this combination in so many ways these days. Smart TVs, cars with crash and lane detection, your computer, tablet, and phone, uh, smart home devices like thermostats, door locks, video doorbells, lights, appliances. All of these things have a hardware component and an increasingly complex software component that make them work. Every year, new things are released that up that game and make our lives easier. Now, for the most part, the things that we're talking about, the devices that we are talking about, all fall into one category, right? These are all things that increase our quality of life. They're quality of life add-ons, if you will things that we could use to make our lives easier, get things done faster, take boring tasks off our plates, do long tasks faster, entertain us, keep us safe, etc. Notice that all of these things are outside of us, right? Outside things, things that provide us with help on tasks or responsibilities. But AI is kind of diving into a whole new realm because it starts to overlap with our very humanity. The thing that makes us unique, our intelligence, our ability to think for ourselves. Most of the technology we've discussed is simply performing a task. A smart TV is one that connects to the internet, and it gives us the ability to open apps and search for content to watch. But we're the ones doing the directing. But AI crosses into that realm and offers to think for us. For example, when I ask Siri what the square root of 81 is, I'm asking Siri to think for me. Siri is built on AI. Yes, it was programmed to access databases with specific types of information. But it's also programmed to pick what it thinks is the right answer, to base its decisions on thousands of previous searches and questions and answers uh, that have been flagged as correct. Then, if it can't figure out, it's programmed to search the internet for keywords in the question. But this is the most basic use of AI, right? Apple may get butthurt when they hear me say that, but all I have to do is look at the emerging technologies out there that are built on AI platforms, and something like Siri starts to look old and boring. It's just the basic AI that we are experiencing today. But this AI is being used in crazy advances in technology. Today, you have people working on robot technology, right? Trying as hard as they can to take their AI software and add it to a fully functioning robot with the ability to walk, talk, and move and have conversations. These scientists are moving in a very obvious direction. They're trying to recreate us. They're trying to copy what we are just with hardware and AI software. How do we know this? Just do a Google search for best humanoid robot. And you'll get a good view of the progress they're making there. Again, in this field of research, they are making advances in two ways. First, the hardware. So they're attempting to duplicate the look of a human being right down to facial expressions. And then they're working on the AI software to run the machine. Both the movements and the facial expressions, but also the personality and the ability to communicate or think. Now, when you're working on the AI side, mainly the personality and the communication side, you don't technically need the robot. AI software can just be created on a normal computer and run from there, as was the case in the following situation. So a guy named Blake Lemoyne uh, was a programmer for Google, and he worked on the Google chatbot project called Lambda. And at some point, he believed that the chatbot had become sentient, meaning that it became aware of itself, and it was able to process and feel feelings. Based on his own personal beliefs, right, it made him question the project. He got a little nervous, and he was like, "Are we doing the right thing here?" Um, you know, in creating this technology. Lemoyne was eventually let go from the project because he had leaked some of this corporate information about Lambda to the press. At this time, there's no resolution to the questions that Lemoyne posed. Google's official statement is that LeMoyne was clearly wrong about Lambda, that it was simply a complex algorithm designed to generate convincing human language. Now, these are crazy stories related to AI, right? Because they are the most in-your-face stories. I mean, how crazy would it be to have a robot walk up to you and ask you for your name? That's like the pinnacle of AI, I guess. Uh, But before you let that cloud your thinking, uh, let's finish up with the meat of it, right? The heart of AI and the many ways that it's being incorporated into software that will forever change the world we live in. I found an article called AI Applications, Top 18 Artificial Intelligence Applications in 2023 by simplylearn.com. And I'm not going to walk through all 18 of them because it's a pretty long list and it's pretty intense, right? There's a lot of technical jargon. But my takeaway from the entire thing is that AI isn't just a one-off, right? AI is being used everywhere. So let's go back to Google for a minute because they just announced a whole new list of AI features that they're going to be adding to Google Workspace. So this is just a good example of um, how it's being incorporated into everyday life. According to an article on theverge.com, here are some of the things that AI will be able to do within Google Workspace. Things like drafting, replying, and summarizing emails, proofreading, rewriting documents for you, auto-generating images, video, and audio, creating formulas for you in Sheets, capturing notes for you in Google Meet, etc. Now keep in mind, these are just things that they're adding to Google Workspace, but a couple of the items on this list are important to our conversation, namely the ability to generate content based on a prompt the ability to create images from a prompt, the ability to generate an audio file for you with your voice, the ability to generate video content based on a prompt. Now, these are interesting in and of themselves, right? When you when you hear that Google is working these into Google Workspace, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool, right? That's, that's an interesting use of AI. But what really interests me is that these four things aren't just something Google thought up right? These are four things that other companies and platforms are working very, very hard to make better in and of themselves, right? They're working very hard to move these things forward separately. So let me give you some examples. The most popular, the one you've probably heard of is ChatGPT. So ChatGPT is a conversational AI platform. It can pass exams. It can write full-length articles. It can develop code in basically any programming language. Um, If you ask it to create something for you, it will. Write me a blog post on climate change. Create me a cover letter for a React developer position at this company. And it just does it for you. Pretty scary stuff. Uh, Next you have Jasper. Jasper is an image creation tool based on AI. So you give the platform a few words and watch images come to life based on those words. There's a platform called Overdub, uh, which is basically realistic voice cloning. So you speak into the mic for a while and eventually the AI engine will memorize your voice. And then it will use your voice to play back written text. And finally, we have video generators like Pictory or Synthesia. Um, You provide a script or an article for the video and video is generated with the ability to edit some of the text, right? You can use AI-generated locations or environments in the background. You can add voiceovers, use avatars, things like that. Now, like I've said, there are thousands of AI-based applications out there waiting to be used, but these are the four that I wanted to hone in on as we wrap things up, because AI is no different than anything else. There will be good use case scenarios and there will be bad use case scenarios. But the fact that these platforms are open and available to the world is what I wanted to talk about because you can be sure that there are people out there with less than stellar intentions. People who only see dollar signs. People who know they will be able to use these things to manipulate other people. People who know they will be able to spread misinformation using these platforms. These are people who are already doing these things without AI, but handing them AI is like handing a baby a machine gun. So where do we go from here? Um, I wanted to finish up with a list of concerns. So there are many good things about AI, right? We've, We've talked about how it can enhance your life. We've talked about how it can help with cleaning your house. There's so many different ways that AI can be useful or helpful. But I wanted to follow up with just a list of concerns. And I kind of organized them into three buckets. So the toll that AI can take on our lives, the negative toll. So there's the personal toll, the social toll, and the spiritual toll. Starting with the personal. So the personal toll that I can see happening is just a loss of expertise, right? We don't need to be experts anymore if AI can provide it for us. So when this happens, if there's a decreased need for education or skills training or or anything like that because AI already provides that service, then what happens to us? Most likely, we get lazy, right? Why do research for a paper in school when AI can just provide the entire paper and references for you? Why write a blog post when AI can write it for you and you just clean it up a bit? Uh, Why write a full novel? If AI can do it for you, and then you can just go back through and make some changes. Uh, Why spend time thinking through a logo for a client when you can just have AI produce 10 options for you in 30 seconds? Personal tolls that I think are going to start happening. Next is the social. So the social toll. The inability to differentiate between real and fake in many areas, right? Content, if written by AI. Images and graphics if generated by AI. Video and audio has already been used to create deep fakes, right? This is video footage where a person is saying something that they never said because the video is is faked or fake audio. So it really has the person's voice, but it wasn't actually them saying it. Now, think how this will impact news footage. Up until recently, if there was a video captured of a situation, it was indisputable evidence, right? You, you can't fight something if there's video footage showing you doing it. But in the future, this may not be true because footage can be altered. It can be generated. And therefore, it may cease to be admissible as evidence in court. And of course, the government is going to tell you that they can differentiate between real and fake, right? It'll be called video forensics or something like that. But will you believe them? Will you be confident in their ability to tell the difference between video footage? I can't imagine how we can feel confident when they can't even figure out things like computer hacking, cyber terrorism, spam in our inboxes, Robo phone calls. If we can't figure out some of these basic things, how on earth are we going to figure out cyber security when it comes to AI? And then finally, there's the spiritual toll. So this is the last area. I wanted to talk about, and it's totally based on my upbringing as a Seventh day Adventist Christian. So I feel like there was a time for Christian Gen Xers when religion literally dominated our worldview. And for a small season, it wasn't just religion, it was eschatology or the study of end time events. Bible prophecy was a huge thing, and it captured many of our hearts and minds when we were that age. For me, as a Seventh-day Adventist, it's baked in. It's right there in the name, Adventist. Not looking forward to Advent, as in the Advent that happens every year in December. No, looking forward to the second Advent, the return of Jesus, which means the end of time, the end of all things. For other religions, it was the Left Behind series by Lahey and Jenkins. This was a book series that swept through the evangelical world based on the belief in the secret rapture. It sold over 80 million copies, I believe, something like that. Um, Basically educated or miseducated, depending on what you believe about the end of time, an entire generation of kids growing up in the church world. I can still remember reading The End of the Age by Pat Robertson, Blood Moon by Hal Lindsey, uh, From Daniel to Doomsday by John Hagee. I mean, it was everywhere you turned. Now, obviously, I was in a very specific culture, right, the Christian culture, but it was still everywhere. Um, I have friends who grew up in the Baptist tradition, and and they can all remember um, turn or burn being a thing, right? So youth, youth group nights where they try to scare the hell out of you, so to speak, turn from your evil ways or you'll burn forever. Um, and there were often short movies to depict this, movies where two friends experienced a similar thing, one went to heaven and the other chose poorly and ended up burning in hell forever. I know, right? Dark stuff. But to a person, they will recount these youth nights and these movies. But I say all this for a reason right? When we were in this phase of life, the end of time thing became a filter through which we viewed the world around us. Some kept that filter to this day. Some lost the filter altogether and others got rid of it for a period of time only to have it resurface when things in the world start to get out of control. The crazy thing is I doubt that subsequent generations even understand what I'm talking about. They view the Bible as a dusty old book, and prophecy as gibberish that you can't possibly believe is real or that it could even be interpreted on some level. And of course, they think this way because the world has offered multiple versions of the story and their parents have argued and fought over which one is the right one. So they just decide to throw it out altogether. Too much to think about and it requires too much effort to try and understand. After all, we're all busy. We have travel sports, social media, 4.5 GPAs, paying for college to worry about, but I digress. For me, it's always been there, even if it's just under the surface. And for me, that's the tie-in with AI. I realized the other day that there's a verse in the Bible that I had held on to for many, many, many years, a verse that I used to predict the end of time, not the actual date when the, the world will end, but just the season, Right. In other words, if I see this start to happen, that must mean the end is near. What verse is it? Daniel 12, 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. To me, this verse was fulfilled with air travel and the internet. Thanks to air travel, we're able to run to and fro at will. And thanks to the internet knowledge has increased exponentially. We have more information at our fingertips than we can ever use in a lifetime. But recently, I've started to think about it a bit more. I've been wondering if the internet was just thinking too small, just trying to force it into the verse because it existed, and it just seemed to fit. But as we get closer and closer to a world where AI is running their show, there's a really good chance that AI fulfills this verse in a whole different way. AI only works because knowledge has increased. In other words, AI is built on the fact that data exists and can be accessed quickly and easily throughout the Internet. Uh, ChatGPT version 3 has over 175 mm-hmm. billion parameters. Just think about that for a minute. <laughs> 175 billion parameters. And with ChatGPT version 4 launching soon, there's no telling what it will be capable of. But AI is knowledge on a whole different level. Exponential growth in data and accessing knowledge. Think of it this way. AI could truly be the fulfillment of Daniel 12.4. Let's land the plane. So this week, obviously, I went on a deep dive into AI In part because I don't fully understand it, right? But also because it feels like a lot. I mean, moving from flip phones to iPhones was revolutionary. But moving from static data on the internet to AI-generated content is next level. It brings up so many ethical questions. The ultimate question being, just because we can, should we? For me, it's fun. It's exciting, right? But it's altogether scary at the same time. It will be so interesting to see where things go as AI really takes off. All right. No questions for this week. Um, I really just wanted to hover over this topic for a bit, get a sense um, for its place in the universe, in the grand scheme of things, with the understanding that, you know, this isn't going to be the only episode I do on AI, most likely. Um, This is very basic, (laughs) very introductory. And I'm sure as we as we move forward um, and new things come out, new things are released, um, it's just going to get crazier and crazier. So like I said, it's a start. Um, I thank you for joining me to talk about it today. Um, I hope all is well in your world, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. Have a great week, everyone. And as always, keep transcending human.